welcome to the Momgasm podcast. Blending motherhood, self-connection, sensuality, and pleasure. Normalizing what it means to be a mother and a sexual being. Welcome back to the Mongasm Podcast. In this week's episode, we got a chance to sit down and talk all things pleasure with Cynthia Loist, co-host of CTV's The Social, award-winning sex expert, and author of her brand new book, Find Your Pleasure. We discussed everything from understanding sexuality and shame for mothers and women and men, unpacking relationships, monogamy, and common fears, plus ideas of how to create more pleasure in your life no matter what your budget. We are so grateful we got the chance to speak to Cynthia and can't wait to do it again. Turn it up, tune in, and enjoy. I'm drinking a scotch right now. If that's any oh, queen. <laughs> I'm a little bit envious. Me too. No, I'm like, what do I have in my liquor pantry? Oh, nothing. Yep. This was desperate times for me. Oh, well, I just almost broke my toe. In yeah, the that literally so. almost just happened. That's... Are you guys in the same room as each other? Or are you yes. all? Oh, you are. Okay. We're in the same. Also, I don't know yeah. why we're still on here. That's. Oh, now it's just me in a boudoir photo. That's great. <laughs> Can you see that boudoir photo of Lindsay? <laughs> I can't see anything right oh. now. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, I think I do see. Yeah, it's lovely. It's a little bit I don't have a photo up because I, I am literally in the worst lighting possible and in my bedroom and I'm just trying to not draw attention to myself for my fun to notice. That's yeah. acceptable. That's very, very acceptable. I feel like we're also in like a very dimly lit, unflattering room. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we're used to just being exposed in a yeah. dimly lit lighting. <laughs> this is you just guys both, You guys both worked today then, or, or yes? We're both stay-at-home moms, so well, technically, yes. Yes. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Running around and picking up and cleaning and cooking and, and craziness. I don't know how you do what you do. Mm, I, don't I, don't how, yeah. <laughs> I don't know how we do it either. How many kids do you have between the two of you? We both have two. She has two girls and I have two boys. And what are the ages? Oh, God. Mine are uh, two boys under four and hers are two girls under five. Yeah, so I've got a, mm-hmm. I've got a four and a half, almost five-year-old, and then a 19-month-old. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh my I, think, God. I feel like I should say, by the way, this is Sarah. This is Sarah's voice. <laughs> and this, yeah. and yeah. this is Lindsay's voice. Got it. I can differentiate. Okay, good. Well, now you know. If you forget, that's, that's fine. Yeah, you can ask. It's fine. All right. How how you been? How was your day? It was pretty good. It was really certainly a Monday, but uh, I really mm-hmm. can't complain about anything. Everything's going really well right now. So even if I'm slightly grumpy some days, I try to not be because really I, I can't complain. That's fair. That's fair. We just we just did like a good twenty minute complaint session though, mm. which felt really <laughs> delightful. Mm-hmm. That was... So you guys are are you guys like long term best friends partners? We are. We've been in each other's lives for God, how long? <laughs> at least eight years. Eight years. At yeah, least. yeah. Because we've been married at least that long. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you meet? We actually met at Starbucks. We, uh, she was a barista at Starbucks and I started and she tells, Lindsay tells a really wonderful story of me walking into Starbucks with my blonde hair and I don't know what I was wearing. You're in, like, you have these like pin curls in your hair and you had this like super 
crisp like white blouse <laughs> and then this that. like gorgeous high-waisted like pencil skirt she looked hot as fuck and like this bright red lipstick and I was like oh my god I know who she is but she's gonna be my friend <laughs> I remember this yeah yep. so we we bonded really quickly because we both learned when I started I was getting married the next month and she was getting married like, I three months from there four months you got married in September I got married in October no you got married in October I got married in July not September yeah July. So, so I lied and we were both 23 and we we're the only people in each other's lives that we knew that were getting married at such a young age and so soon and yeah. so we bonded over that really really quickly yeah. and then you left Starbucks I stayed on our lives kind of fizzled away fizzled. we both had <laughs> <laughs> we both became moms and then last year we started to get together it was actually around this time last year yeah. uh, we were getting together for mom dates going for tacos going for ramen and we kindled Lynn, the romance we did we did we totally did I didn't have the red lipstick or pin curls but no. I did I did though I had you like did. really I, I had upped my curl game and started wearing more bold yes. colors True. <laughs> And then one night over ramen, Momgasm was born, and then it's just been a roller coaster since then. To be honest, good though. The world needs more Momgasms. Fuck yes, I agree entirely. (laughs) And that's what, like, I. It's so funny to me. Like, I'm so thrilled that you're here. I'm not gonna lie. I've been a crushing on you for 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 some years. I, I actually. Have a pretty funny story of like why you your essence became burned into my brain forever. You tell. Uh, I will. <laughs> I so I with my first pregnancy, I ended up having a pretty serious bleed around 14 weeks. And so I got essentially put on bed rest. So I spent my like good good couple of months just laying on my couch watching the social like on repeat (laughs) one of the defining moments for me which was actually why I kept watching the social repeatedly is I think within like the first two episodes I had been watching you were on there like proudly boasting about lube and why like all mothers need to get their hands on some good quality lube after they've had a baby. And I was like, I don't know who this woman is, but I'm going to go get me some lube. <laughs> I love this so much. It's, okay, so wait a minute. Now I'm trying to figure out, this is Lindsay. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I did it right. Amazing. Okay. Well done. Oh, good. I'm trying. Points. Um, that's amazing. And I'm so glad to hear that. That makes me, there's nothing that makes me happier than hearing from some either, like it's usually either somebody who's a mom who kind of catches our show or, or conversely, it's somebody who's like retired. And then somebody, like I had a 90 year old woman reach out to me recently after I did something about talking about um, how to talk to your kids about porn. Yes. And- and she reached out to me and she's like, no one ever talked like this when I was growing up. She sent this long email and she said, I'm going to talk to my grandson about what he's looking at online. Oh my God. Maybe I'll be a resource. I was just like, this is the coolest fucking thing. That's awesome. <laughs> I know. I felt so like, just like, oh my God, like I, that it means a lot. It means a lot that the show reaches this wide swath of people. I don't think we ever predicted that at all. And, um, you know, we didn't know what the hell was going on when we started it. We were all kind of just like, I remember doing press before the show started and and the original five of us, we, we kind of vaguely knew each other, some of us better than the other ones, but we were doing interviews about what the show would be and all of us were pulling stuff out of our bums. We didn't know 
what the show would be. And it really has been this interesting evolution and we've been through really tough times. And, and I feel like we've kind of gone along with the audience. Like people will come and tell us these stories of really challenging things that they've been through while they've been watching like cancer treatments and shitty births and, you know, parents dying and like all this stuff. So I feel like we're all on the same kind of journey together just from different vantage points, you know? Mm, absolutely. Wow. That's awesome. And, and it's like, it's so funny because you describe kind of like, we didn't really know what we were doing when we started it. It just kind of has been coming together. That's how I feel about momgasm. Absolutely. Yeah. It, uh, it, uh, you know, it was born from ramen and two moms desperate to get out of the house and talk <laughs> about sex. And here we are interviewing <laughs> Cynthia Loist on our little podcast here in Halifax. And it's, it's, I just feel absolutely grateful to be able to mm. talk about this and to be talking to you, Cynthia. And this is kind of branching off a little bit, but through my research before I we interviewed you today, I learned that you've had like a really extensive career in sexual education. You produced the show, I think it, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you were the producer of Sex Matters and then the host of Sex TV. It's the flip, but both, but flip. very close. It's, yeah, I produced, there was a show, a documentary series in, um, I think it started the late 90s and it went into the 2000s uh, called Sex TV. And it was this really edgy documentary series and it explored human sexuality around the globe. And I feel like now I'm still like, even just the other day, people were all talking about Goop's show, like yes. the show and how she was talking to Betty Dodson. Um, who's who's somebody we interviewed years ago on Sex TV. She's like this godmother of masturbation. Mm. She's in her 90s now. And I was like, we did that like 15 years ago. But anyway, yeah, I, I, was, a docu I was a producer on that show and I kind of wrote, rose up the ranks and was able to manage a whole team of people at one point. And then the bottom fell out of the economy in 2008. And I was like, oh shit, I'm going to lose my job. So I, I, there was an executive at the time who was suggesting that maybe I should do some on-air work and I had no interest. But at that point, I was kind of desperate because I could see that we were starting to lose. People were losing their jobs, and I, I knew I was going to have to fire some people. And, and I thought, I'm next on the chopping block. So I decided to um, try my hand. So I pitched a show that I could produce as well, which was Sex Matters. So I hosted, and it was like a call-in talk show kind of thing. Cool. And so that was, that was my first foray into doing on-air stuff. So yeah. And then I went to the University of Michigan and got a sex education diploma. Yes. My kind of realm, like, you know, it, like knowledge base in, in sex. Um, which I find infinitely fascinating. That's why you, I'm so delighted to be, clearly you guys have an affinity for this subject as well. Oh yeah. Huge, oh, huge, yeah. huge, huge affinity. Yeah. So like, where did your fascination of sex and pleasure originate? Like what, what prompted you to get into this, uh, this career choice? I think, I mean, when I was, I've always been fascinated. I think he's, there was, I was raised in a Catholic home, so in a Catholic school, and so there was a lot of repression and no one was talking mm -hmm. about sex. And so I grew up with a whole bunch of questions and curiosities and a lot of shame baked into that too, because even though no one ever said, you know, don't touch that, it, it, well, it was just more like, just don't, just don't ask questions about it. There was a lot of like heaviness around the topic of sex. And mm -hmm. then when I was 16 and my sister was around 18 and a half, she came home from university and announced that she was pregnant. Oh, and, wow. Yeah. And, and I, as I bore witness to her life completely being rearranged and, um, 
you know, challenged in a very profound way, Mm -hmm. I kind of was like, it was like a light bulb moment. I was just like, I'm never a going through that. I'm not going to let any of my friends go through what she's going through. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of, it was that moment where I thought, I'm going to start gobbling up as much knowledge as I could. I was that girl at the library trying to read everything I could. Mm. And um, slowly when I started going into university, I took a lot of women and gender studies courses. And then I eventually started writing a sex column. Like it was more like a just, I didn't know that much stuff at that time, but I was still, you know, I was the girl people came to. So I started writing this advice column. And then I actually saw sex TV on TV. And I was like, I, I was already in school for, um, I'd gone to school for film and then I was working, I was going to school for television and I thought I want to work on this show. So I met the, the producer at that time and um, brought, he brought me on as an intern and eventually I got a job. So it, that, it was really, it was a catalyst that came out of a personal thing. Because, wow. You know, I felt like it was evidence to me at that very young age when that happened that like when you don't talk to girls in particular, like they really, their lives get screwed. And yeah. so I just, yeah, made it my aim to like, I thought knowledge is power. And so I wanted to be as knowledgeable and help share that knowledge. Mm. Fuck yeah. That's awesome. That's so, uh, yeah. Over the, the last few weeks of, <laughs> this sounds so weird to say, but over the last few weeks of kind of like internet stalking you. <laughs> My research, Sarah, it's different. I was kind of like stalking. Not really. Anyway, I, I, it's led me to, I I have such a fascination with sex and sexuality and everything that's coming out of momgasm, you know, for Lindsay and I both, Mm -hmm. it's really prompting some incredible conversations with ourselves, with other women, with our partners, with our kids. Not just conversations, also a lot of like experimenting and finding finding new boundaries and things that I did not know I was uh, into. I want to hear more about this. Yeah. <laughs> well, tell her about your your most um, recent one with the with the weave vibe because you have. Oh my me. Jesus Christ! <laughs> oh, friends, that so I uh, we're in this very lovely place right now where occasionally sex companies will reach out to us and say like, "Hey, do you want to take this toy for a ride?" Literally, yeah. And, uh, do a little review, and so I uh, was was recently gifted uh, the We Vibe Chorus from Venus Envy, which is an amazing local sex shop here in Halifax. I think there's also one. I think it's in, in Toronto. Toronto too. I feel like I've heard of that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they're super great shop because their main focus is always education, and then they also mm. have all of these fun, delightful toys. Anyway. First, and that was first, the time that was oh, like- first time with a wearable ever. Uh, first time having something that I can like give my partner the controls and be like, "Oh, have fun!" Um, oh my god, that was <laughs> you guys. Did you leave the house with the with the wearable, or did you? Was it an in house experience? It was an in house experience, but this is like we've only used it once at this point. Eventually, the plan is to like go go on a date and wander about. And, oh and my see what god! We can do. I th- maybe we'll maybe we'll yeah. record while I'm doing. <laughs> in the kitchen if you just turn it on while we're recording that would be a great podcast you can like go into the bathroom be like um i'm having a hard time talking to the waiter (laughs) that would be great just like yeah it would be really fun oh my god (laughs) but it was it was like it was oh man it was ah it's a lot of things that i have not uh felt before in in my life but there's also like for example, we're doing a Tantra workshop together mm. uh, next week for Valentine's Day, which is something that I wasn't interested in um, 
up until recent years. And then he was like a hard no on until probably like six months ago and through doing this show. So it's been really, really interesting to stretch not only the comfort zones of our listeners and open up kind of the realm of possibility to them, but also reap mm. that reward for ourselves right. too, which has been cool. Do you, um, Cynthia, do you ever get requests to review toys as a sex educator? So I did, yeah, there, and we've done a few on the website. I haven't reviewed them personally because I was sort of, it's sort of this weird thing. At, at, like right now, I feel like I'm almost too public of a Mm, absolutely there's there's some there's some I don't know what it is but there's a kind of like crossover line that I feel like if I describe this experience it's hitting a type of audience potentially because I have a lot of men who also go on my website Mm, yeah just I think I I think it's it, it would make me feel like for all the good it could do which I think it's amazing what you're doing and talking to women there's also the potential for a kind of sideline of voyeurship that I'm not necessarily interested in courting at this point in time. So mm-hmm. I've had other people, I, I gift them whatever it is that is sent to me. We did something with a Montreal company, which I think is amazing called Desirable. Yes. Yeah. They're amazing. We also did something with yeah. them. Yeah. Right. And I heard great things, but you know, I like, and there's a couple of things that I've tried and I sort of incorporate it into just like general knowledge, but I don't really say like this was my direct experience, but you know, wearables I think are amazing. Oh my God. Just amazing. And I, you know, obviously I talk a lot about lube. I think that's so important. And, I, and I'm actually one of those people who, even though I do enjoy like, like vibrator experiences, I'm one of those people who has been very much interested in non-vibrating mm. I feel like a lot of press gets talked around like women love their vibrators and I well I, I'm not saying I don't like one I it's not my go-to mm-hmm. thing I like a good solid thing that doesn't necessarily move and have a motor attached to it I don't know why I think it's because I can incorporate it more like it feels more like a fantasy partner yes and a vibrator is distinctly vibrator which is nothing wrong with but it's, mm-hmm. it's yeah it's a different experience so I, I love that you shared that because that's also been very much where I mean, I know I've been for sure, but I feel, Sarah, you... I was just going to agree, yes. Right? So it's... And also for me, for the last... Especially for the last year, maybe even longer, I've been making a lot more... I've been connecting a lot more mindfully to my pleasure practices and and incorporating more slow sex in what we're doing. And vibrators aren't always the best way to do that. Yeah. So it's it's been really great to have the opportunity of having these things come into my life that I probably wouldn't buy for myself, but have the opportunity to now play with on occasion if I'm feeling a little feeling a little spicy or want to try something different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, it's interesting. I, I feel like we've had a parallel experience because when I first started deciding to write this book, it was like, okay, I'm going to, it's, it's going to be a project for me to actually incorporate things that I find deeply pleasurable and write about them. Mm. And it, like, because it, because I had it as an excuse, which was the book or the website, I, I was like, okay, I have to write about these things. So I'm going to treat myself to X, Y, and Z fill in the blank. And sometimes it was about sexual things. And sometimes it was about just taking a good bath or really eating a cupcake and like devouring it and paying attention to what I was mm. feeling. But it was the excuse, the backdrop of that, that really allowed me to schedule it. And that's why, because as I've been doing the tour, a lot of people will be like, how do I find the time or how do I? And it's like, just tell yourself that you have to, or maybe you need to like start a blog or start a podcast and make yourself start to do these things. Yeah. Clearly you guys are doing that too. Yeah. Or maybe, maybe it's, maybe it's the conversation of like, we need to have like women's sensuality circles or something. I like once, once a month you get together with 
your ladies and you like talk about new ways that you're experiencing pleasure in your life. Well, it was like, um, remember back in the day how I, I think there's still a thing. Women would have sex toy parties. Yeah. Right. But I feel like it needs to be taken a step further. But yes, absolutely have tools and toys there because those are just as wonderful as conversations, but it needs to be taken a step further and introducing sensuality in all different forms, like your book, how you're introducing it in, in food, in, in, you know, taking a bath and treating yourself to all these different things that don't involve genitals that don't involve hands on you or you having to perform something it's pleasure can be found in every single aspect of life if you just look exactly and i mean for so many people that i'm talking to in particular women it's hard, like sex still feels like another thing on their to-do list mm -hmm. and so even if you're giving them all these ideas for how to to like get more in the mood or whatever they're not there they're not even there yet they, they there's like they need to start two steps to the side. I don't even say it's two steps behind. It's two steps to the side. It's mm. like they've lost so much touch with themselves that they don't even, like they're so far on the back burner that they can't reach the, the, the you know, the, the signals to turn it on at all. Mm. You know, that's kind of where I feel like I've realized over a lesson one, not everyone's starting with the same kind of interest level um, even. And for, for various reasons, it can be from resentment in their relationships. It can be just from like pure and utter exhaustion. It can be from past traumas. Like there's so many reasons why sex can end up on the back burner. Mm -hmm. um, but I think so getting back to pleasure in many different realms is, is a slow way of starting to prioritize yourself and seeing sex not as a pain in the ass, mm -hmm. but as something that's, that's for yours pleasure. I mean, do you think about it? Like the way, the ways in which to go back to how I got inspired, like I, Growing up, I really felt like all the girls that I knew, and I think this is still the message that most girls get today, it's that your 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 pleasure is not important at all. Mm, yeah. Pleasure, if you're in a straight relationship or straight identified, you're going to look to pleasure a dude um, because that's how you get them or that's how you keep them. And you, you don't want, you would never be saying like, oh, you know, if you just did that a little bit to the left or a little bit harder, a little bit faster, most people don't feel comfortable doing that. Mm -hmm. Most women, sorry. And I think it starts right from the get-go. I've been going on these rants lately about how like it's, it matters when we teach young girls yeah. the names for their genitals. Like it's, it yeah. matters. As I'm sure you've talked about, it's just like to call the penis and the vagina the same thing eradicates our pleasure points. It just obliterates them. It's like, oh, these two things are equivalent. No, they're not. The penis includes all of his sensitive parts, including the head of the penis and like all the underside, like all those like sensitive parts. Maybe we're eradicating his testicles, but not all men like testicle play. But so we're talking about penis. And then vagina, it's like, it's our birthing canal. Yep. It's literally the place we pee out of. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it is not, and not, not to say that it can't be pleasure filled, sure. But when you just, you know, obliterate the clitoris, and I mean, again, I was saying I wasn't, it wasn't until I was like close to 40 that I realized what a powerhouse the clitoris was. I mm. saw what it, like that the clitoris has this like, huge structure and these like legs. Mm. I mean, if, and if you knew that growing up that, okay, I've got a vulva and I have this thing on my body that serves no other purpose but pleasure. Imagine the way that that would change. Imagine if when we were taught sex ed, not only did we get taught about the clitoris, but we got taught sex should be pleasurable. Sex should be mutually pleasurable. And if it doesn't feel amazing and doesn't feel like sensual and, you know, like blisteringly like juicy, that you're not, something's not right then. Yeah. 
I think that that would just be a radically different way for us to all approach. And I think also that has to be the new way in, in this new phase of Me Too that we have to start thinking about sex and pleasure is how to articulate it and how to understand it, how to, how to, how to make sure that we're having it. Or, and if we're not, how to articulate we're not. Mm. Yeah, we just, we need to be having more conversations of sex. Yeah. I mean, that's really where for us, I mean, yes, us getting together for momgasm, um, it, it stemmed from two moms desperate to get out of the house and, and to have that connection again. But in a lot of ways, it also was because we understood that it wasn't being talked about. Yeah. It's, it's like our, our war cry for more, more pleasure and like putting pleasure in women's hands. Mm-hmm. And there were so many conversations happening, you know, since we became mothers in, in my circle of like, is this normal for you? You know, since I had a kid, like, are, are you, are you going through this too? And everyone was kind of dancing around their tippy toes, not really wanting to talk about, you know, what was really happening. And for Lindsay and I, the number one thing that was on the table was, we talk about absolutely fucking everything yep. because no one's talking about anything. No one's talking about what happens to your tits when you're breastfeeding and you're trying to have sex. No one talks about the awkwardness or <laughs> that they can still feel delightful and you might even orgasm exactly. after you've nursed a baby. Exactly. No one talks about your sex drive after you've had kids. And you know, your doctor doesn't bring that up to you. My doctor didn't have any conversations with me other than, did you tear? Are you breastfeeding? are you drinking? Are you doing, are you smoking cannabis? Like everything outside of that, you know, is just, it just wasn't happening. I understand that, but they're, fuck, like (laughs) sex is such a complex topic and it needs to be more relevant. It needs to be brought to the table more than it has been. And, and in schools, especially, it needs to stop being a conversation about contraception and instead about pleasure and sensuality and about, not yeah, not just about safe sex. It needs to encompass so much more. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's why we're very thankful for people like you doing this and having the interest and, and for pushing, you know, those, these, these narratives to be at the forefront. You know, it's, it's so fucking imperative. What are you hearing um, are the most common things amongst your either friends or your listenership? Um, What are they struggling with the most in the bedroom at this exact time? I feel like there's a, I feel like there's a few different things. A big one that I have seen come up and I feel like will continue to come up over and over again is that really sacred time between having your baby and coming back to yourself Mm -hmm. first and then eventually to your partner after giving birth. Yeah. The the pressure, uh, also the pressure of having sex. Mm -hmm. Especially when you do become a mom, you're so exhausted. There's so much on your plate and there's that pressure there to perform. But like you just said, you need to come back to yourself Mm -hmm. first. Yeah. That's really what's happening. I feel so sad when I hear, like, I, I feel that is something that I've heard a lot from. In fact, before I even had a child, I remember I had a friend, not a close friend, but somebody who I knew she was pregnant. And I asked her, I said, what are you, what are you most like terrified about? <laughs> and I was expecting her to say like, Oh, childbirth or, Oh, like, if I'm, am I not going to be a good mom? Like just things that I was worried about even before I had a child. And the one thing she said to me was, honest to God. She goes, I'm worried that right after I give birth, that, that I'm not going to be in the mood for sex and that my husband's going to go and cheat on me. And I was like, 
holy shit, like, I don't even know where to start with that kind of statement. And, and, and I felt deeply sad for her, but then I felt deeply sad for the state of the world, like that that's a concern that has she had to occupy herself with. Like, how have we gotten to this point of yeah. modern women who are living for themselves, doing their own things, and, and then there's this kind of sense of obligation sex. Yeah. And what I've realized over the years, and having a huge amount of empathy for men and the ways that they're raised, is that on the one hand, I think, you know, women get taught to repress their sexuality by and large, and, you know, don't do this, or you're going to be seen as that type of woman, or, you know, repress, repress, repress. Most of us were raised with that. Whereas men, on the other hand, were taught, like, the only way you prove your masculinity is through sex. Yeah. And you're not going to touch, you know, if you're straight identified, a lot of those, especially the, the more alpha kind of, you know, sports world, those types of things, you're going to get into men who you know, have a kind of bro code and they don't really feel like they can touch each other. And they certainly don't have a lot of like deep, intimate conversations. They're not going to go to the spa when they're stressed out. They're not going to go get a massage. Most I'm generalizing. And mm. so they have this kind of sense that once they're with a long-term partner, that they, they, their partner can become this kind of receptacle for that man's um, desires. And it's, and it, I think they see it as an intimacy thing. I think it comes from a well-meaning place for many. Yeah. The women's perspective, it becomes this obligatory, if I don't do this, then what? And mm -hmm. this is a conversation that needs to happen more because we cannot have long-term monogamous relationships and expect that this dynamic can work. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of the things that, well, I mean, I'll get into a whole other conversation about non-monogamy, which is another thing. But... <laughs> If we want to, if we're talking about within this framework of monogamy, you have to approach each other and like with a kind of sense of mutual pleasure in mind. And mm -hmm. we have to be honest about that. And we also have to explore the idea of what does intimacy mean? And what does true intimacy mean? And men need to unpack some of their trauma around that idea. And women need to uh, stop performing uh, intimacy for their male partners. Um, but I don't, I, again, I, I'm not saying that this is an easy fix. I think, I think unfortunately there's going to be a lot more divorces before yeah. we figure this out. Mm -hmm. I want people to divorce less <laughs> Yep. and explore non-monogamy more. <laughs> yes. Hard. It's funny that you bring that up because that's my, my husband and I have been having lengthy, lengthy, lengthy conversations around whether or not non-monogamy is right for us over the last little bit. Turns out we don't think it is, but even the conversation, yeah, That's even great. the conversation, it's been like one of the most fulfilling, strengthening periods of time for our relationship because we're able to just sit there and be like, great, this is what I'm feeling. This is what you're feeling. Here are all of my fears. Here's all of yours. Is this, what do you actually desire? What do I desire? And how can we make this work for both of us? Mm -hmm. it's, oh, it's been good. That is so incredible because I think that like 99% of couples just never have that conversation. Mm. They never talk about it. And then there's this narrative that goes on in culture, which is that cheating is the worst infraction. That's why I love the work of Esther Perel. She also has a yes. podcast. She's like an amazing, of course, you know, New York therapist. Mm -hmm. She's just an incredible thinker. And she talks a lot about how, um, you know, the infraction of, of infidelity has been positioned in our society as like the worst sin. But a lot of times you don't realize what other sins were taking place before yeah. who betrayed the, the relationship first. And, you know, what, what I found really radical about her 
podcast is listening to couples going through a lot of times the pain of an infidelity mm-hmm. and and realizing that their, their problems were so numerous before that. There were so many things wrong before it came to that. Mm-hmm. And I guess I'm not saying that I don't think that non-monogamy is right. I don't even think it's right for me necessarily. I'm not sure. Um, mm-hmm. But I also think it's important, like Jason and I have continued to talk about it. We've talked about it from the beginning of our relationship. Because I'd had so many partners cheat on me, I came out of the gate being like, I'm not sure or sorry, monogamy is, is going to work for me for 30, 40, 50 years. I don't know. But what I don't want to do is be cheated on. And I do want to have an open dialogue. So if I want you to be able to come to me, if you're feeling certain ways, and when we can try to talk about it from there, and I want to be able to come to you if I'm feeling certain ways, and then we can go from there and this not be a kind of do or die. Um, I don't know if you've read also the work of Alain de Botton. He's like, um, he's a philosopher and he wrote uh, a little book called why we need, I'm probably gonna get the title wrong, but something to the effect of why we need to talk more about sex. And he writes about how like, there's, there's something beautiful and messy and sloppy and weird and sexy about sex. Like it's all mm-hmm. things. And that sometimes in the course of a lifetime, people make mistakes. And rather than thinking about it as like the worst infraction, maybe we, as, it's, it's like a call to be curious, more curious. And I think that's a, a radically different way than the way that we've positioned it currently, which is that it is the worst sin and that, you know, lawyers will make the most money off of your messy divorce as a result of this horrible sin. One person's the enemy and one person is the, the, the hero and, uh, and, you know, the end. And I just think, no, I've, I know too many women who've cheated on their partners and I, empathize with the reasons why they mm-hmm. I totally empathize some from infertility some from just being pure neglect mm-hmm. some, but but why do I empathize with these women more than I empathize with men yeah I don't know and I, and I know it's complicated and some men are raised to be assholes and and I know there's been a lot of like there's that conversation to be had too but for the most part I think we're all human and life is long and it's hard and we have a a, a mutual a sex life with a partner, but we also have a personal sex life and a personal journey. Exactly. And we need to be more kind to ourselves and to each other. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And that's, yeah, it's kind of what my husband and I were, were going through right now for the past, really since MomGasm was born, it's opened up so many new conversations with us. And one of the things that my husband, Oliver, is realizing about himself is that as a man, and uh, coming from my perspective as a woman, we were never taught about boundaries. Yep. We were never taught about intimacy other than penetration. Yep. And so that's something that we are really, every day we are talking about and we're going back and forth and we're understanding more of, of what that looks like to us. And it's just, it's, it, it is so, 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 so important to, to exactly what you said is, yes, in this relationship, we have a sexual relationship. I also have one with myself and you have one with yourself. And somewhere along, well, for the last 12 years of our relationship, we completely forgot that we were separate people. We were only putting the emphasis on the relationship that we were sharing with one another and forgetting about the relationship we have with ourselves and we neglected ourselves. Yeah. And But by concentrating on this, the penetration, the intercourse that we were having, we're basing our, 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 the value of our relationship off of that. Mm-hmm. 
so much was left behind. So much went unsaid. I am a complex human being. He is a com- complex human being. There are so many things that that are a part of our identity, and sexuality is a huge part of our personal identity. And we completely fucking went past that. And I, I wholeheartedly believe we are not the only ones doing that. Oh, for sure. I feel that it is something that is happening to everyone. No one is is having these conversations and identifying that your sexuality is not based off of your partner first and foremost um it comes from within you and what does that look like to you you know do you even know what that looks like could you describe your sexuality to your partner or to even yourself mm-hmm. and these are the conversations we need we need to encourage um because i think obviously that will bring about immense connection no matter who you have it with Right. I, I, I even recently I was having a conversation with somebody, and uh, he comes. He, I couldn't believe it. I was like, "Are we having this conversation?" It's twenty twenty, uh, and he he comes from the idea that he really doesn't like to. He doesn't think when he's in a relationship that he should masturbate. That he that that should be reserved for his partner. I was like, "Trust me, you should masturbate." I was like, "Trust me, trust me, trust me. Your partners probably want you to sometimes have your own like your own private life." And he's like, "What?" And I, I couldn't believe this. I, I like I, I think there's still this kind of idea that we need to have. A, if you're in a partnership, you need to have X amount of sex, whether it be a month or a week, however you do it. People are constantly trying to measure themselves mm-hmm. against some arbitrary number, and that's why there's all these studies. You can like Cosmo magazine or whatever <laughs> it is is still able to put out these like, oh, here's what the most normal, the, the oh. most happy, successful, normal, I'm putting that in heavy quotes, right? Couples, that's how, how, the, how many times they have a sex in a month. And oh. I always, I want to burn it down. I want to yep. burn it, burn it all. Because yeah. it's a party where we burn them all. Instead of burning bras, we're going to burn those. <laughs> burn those things because they're just so stupid. And it's like, I, I, this is the only area, like I don't think about how often does my neighbor eat like pasta a month? Like, okay, well, I kind of might think that. <laughs> yeah, I really lot, but I feel like that's more me wanting to enjoy the pleasure of how many times they're eating. Let's pasta get real here. How much <laughs> pasta do you eat in a month? Or like, how many? Like, how many times do you vacuum? Like, like we don't. That's not even a pleasure. But like, what? What are the things that we don't care about that our neighbors do? Why in the world? Why I don't even like my neighbor. I don't know my neighbors. I don't like them. Why in the world would I think that what they're doing? Oh, Cynthia. <laughs> I really hope your neighbors are not listening to this podcast. <laughs> one neighbor is fine. The other ones are not fine. So they can figure out which one is which. <laughs> but regardless, I still don't want to know what they're doing in bed. I don't, I don't think I have anything in common with them necessarily. And if they're doing it, whatever I, ho- I wish for them is that they're happy. I don't, you know. <laughs> That's a hole there. I realized and now i got to sit in that hole. <laughs> yeah. I love it. Oh, my, that's good. <laughs> totally get what you're getting at there, though. Yeah, 100%. How do you do? No, and what's, what's interesting is, like, you, you kind of brought up how you grew up in a religious upbringing. And I, my dad was a minister for the majority of my upbringing. Wow. And it's funny because I, because I had this fear of, like, not, I didn't have anybody I could talk to but I was just this innately sexually curious person, which I feel most of us mm-hmm. are at some point, especially puberty. Hello. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cosmo is like the garbage that I was reading. 
Like, because it was the thing that I could get my hands on. I was like, this is sold everywhere. I can buy it. Mm. So I guess I'm going to have to read about what sex is from these garbage magazines. And I think in many cases, I mean, back in the day, I think they were actually kind of slightly geared towards men who might pick them up. Like, they were certainly, I feel like, written from a man's perspective in many cases. Like, I think it was just such a strange phenomenon uh, that it became so huge. And now I just look back and I just, like, I I think what I would love for people to know is, like, you know, figure out, and this seems so basic. Um, but figuring out what you like to do, because again, sex has become so performative with the proliferation of porn. I feel yep. like people were raised on it and they think that they have to act out pleasure. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something that is really hard. I mean, then there's like, I can, you know, find a nuance in that, which is that like, maybe it turns you on to act like a porn star exhibiting signs of pleasure. Like, I'm not going to deny that there aren't layers mm. of this, but I would say that I think, I I would like what if sometimes pleasure the way it looks is kind of ugly or what if the way and that's yeah. okay like what if it's kind of silly what if it's messy what if it's vulnerable like I don't think those are generally the words like we've got an idea about what sexy looks like or something mm. and I don't know I don't I think it's I think it's something that again we should question and start to get away from but we do it all the time like it's the reason why i think we're really hard on our bodies or we you know we we try to always make sure like i don't know i mean my underwear are never matching but in theory (laughs) again i'm sure i would be concerned i would be concerned about my pubic hair like is it the right is it there too much too little what's what's the story and we think about all these things because we don't want to be seen as unsexy by some arbitrary standard yeah yeah. One of one of my favorite personal activities over the last few years has been like dismantling for myself what sexy is and like taking away all of the narratives. And very recently you did that with our photo shoot. Yeah. Right? So like I I've been doing a lot of photo shoots lately. Mm-hmm. We've done I've done two intimate sessions with my partner and we did we we got in bed naked together and did some uh, did yeah. some stuff. Oh, I love this. <laughs> oh, it's great. <laughs> Um, but I, I had this, like, I haven't shaved, um, for probably five years now. Mm-hmm. Every once in a while, like clean up the underarms with a good old beard trimmer. Mm-hmm. Yep. But for the most part, I just, I, I gave myself the permission to get comfortable with mm-hmm. my hair. And when the last photo shoot I was getting ready for, I had that moment. I had that like, <gasps> oh, I should maybe shave. Maybe I need to like trim some things. Also, there was a brief, like almost a Tinder date where I was like, oh, do I have to shave again? <laughs> like there was, there were those moments where it kind of crept in and I was like, well, okay. What would, would I feel differently about this if there were more boudoir shoots or intimate sessions that had women who also had hair mm. and were just, it was normal. Like it was something that was readily available. And so I didn't, I didn't. It was yeah. delightful. And that absolutely plays in the conversation of, of sex and sexuality and, and, and how we perceive, or perceive ourselves as sexual human beings. You know, it can be messy. It can be vulnerable. It can be hairy, you know? Well, there is no standard for what sexy is. Absolutely. But there isn't. But we, like Cynthia said, because of the prolific uh, images of yes. pornography, we do assume that yeah. hairlessness, tanned, bleached, uh, bleached uh, injected versions of men and women, muscular, uh, that is what we should be aspiring to look like. And mm. I love that you 
said those very nice descriptive words, you know, messy, vulnerable, you know, sad, grumpy, whatever, you know, like these also can be versions of sexuality, you know, like, yeah, maybe when I have sex with my partner, it's going to make me cry because it's touching something that I didn't want to talk about or didn't want to feel. And, but sex brought me there or sex with myself brought me there. And fuck, these are the conversations you keep having. Ah! Wait, do you Sorry. guys have you have you explored the work of Erica Lust? Do you know who she is? Yes. Oh yes, yes. I did an interview with her for my website, and I just think like the world needs more of her. And it's a very like hard thing as a mom, you know, living overseas, like doing what she does, and yet, and because it's also still very stigmatizing. But like the more that women can get involved in in in, in making ethical porn, porn with performers who want to be there, porn performers who are acting out, like you know, she takes a lot of people's like literal fantasies that get sent to her. And I just love that she does that. I'm also a big fan right now of, um, there are a lot of times they're on these weird, strange, um, not Reddit sites, but kind of like that, but they're audio porn. Oh, and- I just did one of those. You oh. did. You actually recorded one? I No, I didn't record one. I inspired a story for one. Yeah, which was yeah. very great. Wow, what is the company? I'm totally going to blank now, oh. which is terrible of me. You're- I think they're from Ontario. <laughs> Like, even just because you know, like, no one was harmed in the making of this. And, like, it's so great to involve your um, imagination in such a profound way. Oh, it was so fun. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, you would listen to guys who are, like, being, like, baby, I want to, like, what I'm going to do to you next is, like, and you can just be like, (laughs) okay, I'm here for it. (laughs) I just love it so much. It was it was really fun because it's like the story. So the story that we wrote was specifically about, like, a, a couple coming to sex after having their second baby like Mm. it was it was like this reuniting uh point and there's it was it was sweet because one of the things that we like prioritized was the amount of times that he like checked in Mm. very cute i love that Mm. second after having a baby is terrifying like no oh my god yeah it's terrifying i was so afraid and and no one had prepared me for that it's it's a terrifying experience and a and I feel like I was so grateful to not have any pressure from my partner about that. Like we, we reapproached it when we were ready, but at the same time, I was just, I was like, how is it going to feel? Like I felt so vulnerable and cra- mm-hmm. yeah, it was a very crazy feeling. That's one of our most uh, listened to episodes, sex post baby. Yep. A lot of women feel the exact same way. And that one, that one and uh, the six kids and, time for fucks or whatever we call yes, it. Yes. Yes. We interviewed um, a woman. She has six children and she has, she has a very high sex drive, like yes. a notoriously high sex drive um, daily, multiple times a day. Like, like a, oh. a slow period is three times a day for her, which I'm like, wow. Yeah. What, how does she, how does she manage that? This was, this was the, this whole, was the whole episode. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to have to tune in. It was, yeah, I, I, yeah. Okay. I'm just going to leave it at that. It's pretty, it's <laughs> pretty right. But I, I think, I think for a lot of couples and a lot of women, like there is that, that time pressure of like, how do I, how do I fit it in? How do I fit it in? But I love, I love what you're doing with your book in particular, because it's not just about sex. Like it's pleasure. It's the greater conversation of pleasure. And I'm a firm believer that the more we prioritize pleasure as a whole, the easier it is to like naturally find those times. Yeah. I mean, that's what I wanted it to be was just this kind of like, it wasn't, it's not a radical idea, but as I started thinking about like 
as I share in the book, I had this real crisis in 2013, right after we launched the show, because I was, you know, I had, I was very happy on paper. Like I had a great partner and this great baby and this great new show, but I was quietly kind of like, I was low key miserable and I was going from point A to point B. And I think immersed in like, I obviously wasn't sleeping great. I was still breastfeeding, but I was also feeling like I, I, I had so many things on my to-do list. I had, I'm, we're such a do culture. Like we got to do yeah. stuff in order to be overachievers. Yes. And it all kind of came to a head one day. And that, that's what really started me on this journey towards back to pleasure because I couldn't remember the last time I'd done anything for me. And I, I'll be honest, like I still have to remind myself, like lately I've been actually so blissed out. Um, and, and part of it is just because obviously when you've been working on a book for a while, it's very mm-hmm scary and you're just like are people gonna like this is this crap like whatever what's gonna happen and putting it out there and meeting people and talking to them has been just so immensely fulfilling Mm -hmm. um but I can feel that little thing creeping in again of just like okay I have to set aside the time I have to to take my own advice Mm -hmm. and and really get back to making sure that I'm taking the time and I've I've met some really interesting people like I did meet some a woman who she was a new immigrant from, um, I think she was from the Middle East somewhere. I can't remember exactly where she said she was from, but she is caregiving not only for her children, but also her in-laws. They're all living in the same house and she's struggling to make ends meet. And uh, I got the impression that she was a single parent. Um, and she said, whenever she has any extra money, it immediately gets sent back home. And she's like, how in the world do I prioritize self-care? And I don't, it was such a good question because as I was writing the book, I was like, is this a conversation that's extremely privileged? And I, and I don't think pleasure should be, I don't think it needs to cost money. Um, but at the same time, she's the situation she described to me is extraordinarily tricky. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, I, the only advice that I could give to her is that kind of generic advice that I feel like lots of people give, which is that you are no good to people on the long run. If you haven't, come back to yourself and carved out time. You're going to be grumpy. You're going to be miserable. You're going to be shortening your life. Like that, that is facts. Mm -hmm. So even if it's 15 minutes a day where you go for a walk by yourself, even if it's 15 minutes a day to read a book, something, this stuff adds up and you'll carve out little bits more time. Or what if you aren't the only person who makes dinner for your entire family and your in-laws, which is what she said she was doing. What if, what would, what would happen if you asked them to pitch in? (laughs) And sometimes you end up challenging people's like entire uh, sense of who they are or their entire cultural responsibility or their entire familial responsibilities. But I do think that this conversation around pleasure isn't, it should, it should be accessible to everyone. Absolutely. And it, and it should be, um, it, it doesn't have to be this kind of like frivolous thing um, or this kind of slippery slope to ruin. Like that's, that, that I think is, we need to reposition this idea of pleasure as being this dirty, filthy thing, both yeah. in the bedroom. Yep. Yeah. No, there's, yeah. Pleasure, mm, pleasure feel is delightful. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it can, it can be an easy as, so for me, I, I have a, a sexual trauma background. And so for me coming back to pleasure, it, it requires me to constantly feel safe in my body. And so carving out the time to do that so that I can get back to that place of pleasure. Um, you know, it does take a little bit of effort, but the one thing that I have found that I can do for myself is 
I'll just look at my body. Or even if I'm fully clothed and I don't have the time to do it and I know that I'm so disconnected, I will literally just touch parts of my body and say, I am touching my arms, I am touching my hands. And sure enough, I'm back in my body, I'm feeling the sensations, and then I'm brought back to that place of sensuality. Mm-hmm. I'm re- I am engaging all of my senses and it's doesn't cost any money to do that. You know, it's just as easy as that, or just doing my nails at night, you know, like that. I I don't, I I can't afford to go and get a manicure, Mm -hmm. but I can sure as fuck get creative. Might not look (laughs) real good, but (laughs) I love that idea. I, and I, I've said this before that I feel like mindfulness is a real buzzword right now, but I love the idea of mindfulness and getting back into your body and being very present and, and noticing things like walking into a room. I try to do this every day whenever I'm going into a new space. It's like, what am I smelling? What am I tasting? What am I touching? Like, what can I observe and soak in? But I do also think mindlessness is also, it's a free thing and it is important. And it's the stuff we were talking about before. It's fantasy. It's lying in bed and thinking about maybe it's a past sexual encounter. Maybe it's a really hot scenario. Maybe it's not even sexual. Maybe it's remembering an amazing moment that you shared earlier on in the week. Like I, I, when I first gave birth, I would spend some time just reliving my labor. I actually was very lucky that I had a very pleasant labor, but I would just kind of all those memories would come flooding back to me. And it was almost like a, a little time machine. And I think you can do that with so many different things in life. And there's a huge deep pleasure to be found in nostalgia, in memory, in fantasy. And then we don't talk enough about that in this kind of like, right now we're talking a lot about like, oh, you got to be present all the time. I don't think that's true. I think actually it's shit. Mm. (laughs) I feel like, I feel like it's, it's funny. I think you either need more mindfulness or you need more mindlessness based on where you naturally land the most. Mm-hmm. For some people, they're always in their head. They're always thinking about a thousand other things or- Monkey mind. Right? Like there's there's those individuals and which I fall into that mm. hard. And then there is the other side where they're so focused on being present and aware all of the time that they're losing that magic of letting their mind just wander mm-hmm. into all of the wonderful crevices and corners that your mind has for you to go. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's that, okay, well, where, what do I, what is my tendency? How is it serving me? And would bringing more of the latter or the opposite give me a little bit more pleasure, or a little bit more peace? Mm-hmm. I love that. Yeah, so like for me, where I am like monkey mind busy all of the mm-hmm. time, uh, and I do have that tendency to like ADHD, haha, woohoo, get sucked <laughs> into my phone or like go down the rabbit hole or like oh squirrel, what's happening? What's going on? Yes. For me, an active process that I've been doing is just slowing the fuck down. Yeah, mm-hmm. like when it comes to meals, like sitting down, taking a few breaths before I start eating, kids allowing, and like smell my food, taste my food, Mm. chew my food, like enjoy the process of eating. Even it's, even if it's like fucking KD with peas in it. Right. Yeah. Just slow it down. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I've been trying to wake up every day and I already had kind of a gratitude practice, which, you know, I roll my eyes when I hear that because it just feels like everyone says it, but I've found it is so helpful either at the end of the beginning or end of the day or both. Um, to sit back and like reflect on what I'm grateful for. Um, and then, but also starting the day through a pleasure lens. Mm. Like, what will I do today? How am I going to maximize pleasure? And even just like reminding myself of that first out of the gate, it's going to set oh. my mood for the day in a different way. Or I'm going to be immediately trying to tap into my senses in a different way. 
my mm. car ride home. Like it has been such a radical thing. I hated my commute for so long. My commute is not even that fucking long. It's like 30 minutes. Grumpy <laughs> like, so for such a long time, just like road ragey and miserable and anger. I was just like a, a menace on the streets. And then suddenly, like when I started thinking about this and like making sure I had podcasts ready or just really enjoying like talk radio or whatever, I it just, I was just like, oh, I'm going to take a different route today. Or, oh, I'm going to go down. Like, I'm just looking around whenever I was caught in traffic. It's, it's the simplest, stupidest thing or leaving earlier so that I don't have to be stressed out about the time. Mm. And so it's little changes that have really made it an immense help. Like mm-hmm. help. Yeah. 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 And I think, and this is like, and yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. Well, we're speechless on that one. <laughs> nope, nothing to add. That's, that's that about what you want more pre- pleasure. Do that. Just, just do that. <laughs> I like. I do, and I don't feel like I could say like. There's so much that I want to talk about about pleasure. Like, there's so many different ways we can cultivate it, and like, I I just want to keep like giving examples, but at the same time, yeah. like we should. Uh, yeah, <laughs> just, just move move this bus along. <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> okay one of the the things that I I really loved um with your book that you included is is you've got these little pleasure prompts throughout the book like these ideas and tangible things that people can do yes which is delightful yeah I really like for me it was it it was a really tangible way to kind of just like nudge people in a certain direction because again I think it's not it doesn't have to be like a complicated thing I read all sorts of books about pleasure and uh, before I got into, dove into this book and they were like, some were very academic and some were way too, um, like just going in, it, like it kind of like talking about the pitfalls of it. And I was like, ah, screw all this. Like, I just want to think about little ideas. And because I know it was really important for me to make sure that the book was both like pleasurable to look at and also to hold and also that you could have like sit down for two seconds and maybe get a little hit of pleasure, which is why I like the pleasure prompts and pleasure projects. Because for me, I find even reading about those ideas would already bring a smile to my face. I think some of the things I included in there were like as simple as like pluck a (laughs) a nose, not a nose hair, a breast, like a chin hair or a breast hair. Like those are crazy things that like for me, I, I love those weird overnight chin hairs that come out and I'm just like Where, how the hell overnight did this thing come up and I'll, I'll fondle it for a while when I'm driving to work and then the, the pleasure of actually pulling it out slowly yeah. it's like just so weird and small I fucking love it it's so weird that you're talking about this because I don't think I've ever had a conversation with anyone about their chin hairs besides with my husband who always spots them but like I will fucking hold on to those things for as long as I can and I'll just like rub them and like feel how like you know they're so like prickly (laughs) like I will like I, I like there's always two that I will get and Ollie will always find them and he's like you're gonna you're gonna pluck that I'm like yeah hold on to it for a couple of days you name them <laughs> I think you should but time. then yeah when you finally pluck it out you're like ah all right I got the most out of you this time <laughs> more where that came from now I'm like really <laughs> sad that I've never had this experience like, well don't be I bet you it's coming your way <laughs> are we like ma- are we actively manifesting uh chin hair for me right now oh, you're 30 now so maybe like 30 40 years you'll have yes. a nice little Grove. Full beard. <laughs> the old lady grove of chin hairs. 
but there's all those like little things too like I, like for me it was it, it was about um like I have I think I wrote about this the drawer that I have as well of like all these little pleasure filled yes and I think it's funny how we think of those messy drawers as like junk drawers we call them junk drawers but like I feel like those drawers often have like I have one in my son's room and I have one in my room mm. it's just little things and and they will it's like almost like if you go to your parents house and you unearth like something that you had from high school yeah you probably spend like an hour just going through it I feel like we have we need to have those things in our lives right like finding old journals or finding little oh. talismans or things that bring us back with old photos it's it, all those things hold a kind of energy and objects yeah. too they hold energy and and I think that's why the Marie Kondo kind of like blitz everything else that doesn't spark joy. It's not, I'm not a complete minimalist. I, I like stuff. And I think stuff can really hold a lot of, of meaning and pleasure for us. Mm-hmm. The right things. Yeah. It's like a little, they're, it's in junk drawers. We just call them treasure drawers. Yes. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah. I, memory <laughs> boxes, whatever. Yeah. Well, I have, yeah. I've got a memory box in my, in my parents' attic. Yeah. Yeah. But I love your idea how you, like, I, I've seen the picture. It's an, it's an actual drawer. And it's so, it's just so nice. Like, I don't, like, I have the actual, like, you know, I have a little fake, like, treasure chest that's full of me and Ollie's love letters since, Aww. well, for 12 years. That's really sweet. Yeah, it, it's, it, you know, every so often my son will find it. My son, Henry, who's almost four. And he's like, mommy, I found the treasure chest from the pirates. And then he opens it and it's like all the love letters. So we pretend, you know, to read it. And, but, you know, I'm actually reading. I'm like, oh my God, like we were so adorable when we were 17. Um, But that's, it's really nice to look back on that. And I have some for my sons. Like I have the first, um, they're very, very, very tidy uh, pajama set. But like, the, that little box is tucked away in this big chest. And when I saw that picture that you had in the book, I was like, that's such a lovely idea to be able to like open it. And it's all there laid out. I mean, I also have this feeling that my sons will find that drawer and oh, just yeah. totally They'll fucking fuck it ransack up. it. And like, I'll be like, you little shits. That's <laughs> <laughs> your memories. God damn it. You fucked up the memories. There's peanut the butter on our love letters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's cute though. New memory. <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. New memory. Yeah. Maybe you need some outside perspective to be reminded of a oh, well, new memory. Right. You'd be in your mom rage prime of like, why did you do that? <laughs> Yeah, right. Oh, the mom rage. Yeah. How do we still find pleasure when we're still we're experiencing mom rage? <laughs> Although uh pleasure is like you often my gateway out of mom rage. Well, so. there you go. I mean, I think I shared this story in the book too, well, about like, I had this rage on for this man who ran a parking lot across from our work. He was like rotten. <laughs> Every day I went there, he was like, if I, it was like five minutes late, he would try to charge me more money. And he was just like, a, a, just making me so angry. And I had all these fantasies about just like, you know, telling him like, I'm not parking here any longer. Like, just, you know, like just running the, my car into his little weird like. <laughs> Like I had all these really perverse and uh, angry and kind of pleasurable fantasies about being mean. But then eventually, like one day I was just like this, I'm never going to win with my anger. And my rage felt good, but it was like a, like a bad candy, you know, like it was just like, it felt good going in, but it wasn't good to my stomach. And Mm so uh, eventually I just, I set my aim. I was just like, I'm going to kill him with fucking kindness. And that's exactly what I did. Like, I thought, okay, I'm going to try to go in there. I'm going to picture him being like this vulnerable young boy who was like, 
harmed by his dad meanness growing up again I have no idea if any of this that's deep it allowed me to kind of see him more vulnerably and so I started being really nice and he was totally disarmed he didn't know what because I'd been kind of really bitchy to him so he didn't know what the fuck to make and then he slowly started warming like day after day by the end like I no longer park there anymore but by the end of the time I was parking there, he was like, hey there, how's it going? Like, just like kind of charming. And that's been my approach now too, because there's been, you know, the Twitter and social media is a cesspool of awfulness. Mm. And um, we've had a really rough run on the show in the last little while that has, has drudged up so much anger and vitriol and hatred. And, and, and I, and because I'm, I'm an empathetic creature, I, like I go, I go through the, the the gamut. I feel like of emotions. The first one is like I think of a really like witty, mean spirited response that I yep. really want to write, and it would make me feel so good in the short term. But then I actually either I just I choose to mute, which has been also an amazingly pleasurable thing to not hear from some people. But occasionally I've chosen to respond and try to actually kill them with kindness mm-hmm. because I I. I'm alarmed at the state of the world right now where it feels like we've gone into this space where it's the easy kind of like mean spirited pleasure, which there is pleasure in there gets full, you know, attention and people are trying less and less to try to understand someone else's position. Like right now I know that there's a lot of people in this country who are suffering from, they're struggling from maybe addiction in their family or they're struggling from, poverty or lack of jobs and it doesn't matter what color their skin is i hope those people who are white for example would also understand that people of color may be experiencing the same thing as them and the additional layer of racism but it doesn't mean that their pain whatever color your skin is isn't relevant Mm. and i think right now that's just one example of where there's this kind of like you know i think a lot of people feel like they're not being heard and i'm trying Mm. to have a bigger understanding of like, okay, how do we come together? And I've been fantasizing about like doing these like you know, meetings of like people who've been assholes to me on Facebook. Like, come on down, <laughs> come on down. Let's have a coffee and talk. I can't do it. Not all these people are necessarily uh, rational. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, but part of me thinks that's the only way we're going to get past this next phase of things. Uh, otherwise, I don't know what, I don't know what's in store for when our kids get older is it this like a worse like a sludge factory of mean hatred I don't know the way the way that I always like to or that I have been thinking of it lately is I my belief is that we're on this like precipice of change where things have to get so unbearably terrible and then there's going to be this like explosion and then this diffusion process as we settle into this next wave of higher consciousness and more pleasure and like better fucking humans mm. that's I my hope i hope you're right but i, I hope so too like actively court that and uh without being pushovers either like i don't yeah really, you know i've had a few conversations online with people and i've actually been able to diffuse it and it's extraordinarily rewarding to actually diffuse where, where eventually you get to the end of it, like where it's like, okay, actually, you know, John, uh, I don't see the situation the way you do, but here's what I do see and have a great day. And then John will come back and be pissy. And then, and then I'll again come back. And then at the end of it, unfortunately, what's often happened is like, oh, great. Well, I sort of see your point. Don't really agree with it, but uh, you're, a, you're a hottie. 
Like that's what oh. like some kind of like, it's like, oh man, like yeah, we, we could have just left it there and then you did that. Whatever. I have to, I, I think about more and more going back to that me too conversation. It's like, we talked a lot about consent and boundaries and going forward and the, the you know, the differences in power dynamics. But what we have to talk about next is how do we, you know, encourage women to use their voices? How do we encourage men not to fall into like these ideas about what being a man looks like and what, it, what, mm-hmm. what, what their sexual prowess, how that, how that identifies them. Um, we have to dismantle all of it from both perspectives if we're going to mm-hmm. have any help. Yep. Mm-hmm. Hard. Yes. This might be a little bit of a, uh, this is kind of on topic. Um, <clears throat> a little bit deep, but where do you think is the starting point of eliminating shame from the conversations about pleasure and sexuality? Because we as moms, we run into that a lot. I mean, I, there's a story that I always share. Pretty soon after I became a mom, I got rid of a lot of my clothes that kind of made me feel like a sexual creature. Because when I, you know, when I adopted this role as a mother, it kind of made me feel like I was like this pure version of Sarah. Um, and since, you know, really diving into this, these, the realm of momgasm and everything that we've been doing, there's, we have a lot of conversations about shame. And I feel like that's also a a really, um, strong theme in our listeners of, you know, there's so much shame around this and blah, 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 blah. And, And so, you know, we, we have some of our antidotes to that, but where do you think that the conversations should start in, in really eliminating shame for, for our generation and, and for future generations? I mean, I think it's such an amazing topic. And in fact, when I first started thinking about pleasure, shame was like in tandem with it. Like I was just like, I know there's a lot of things to like, it's almost like they're flip sides of each other Mm -hmm. to some degree. Um, I think shame starts very young. And and I'm I'm sure as you're raising kids, you notice how interested and freely they like to express like their nudity and their their genitals. And so I've had to, I've really been like with my son, like just really like trying to, not raise him in the way that I was raised, which was, was with a lot of shame around touching myself. Like, I'm just like, touch it. It's your friend. You just got to do it in your own private place. And, and like trying to really get that core age, talk about that. It's okay to, to be involved with the pleasure of your body. Mm-hmm. And I think as adults, the shame that we feel around a lot of things, it's the same. It's not the exact same, but it's, it's the same shame we feel around our houses not being picture perfect or our laundry not being done. Like we, why are we afraid of opening up our doors and somebody seeing that, you know, we've got a disaster sink full of dishes because we're afraid of being judged. Mm -hmm. And so in order to get past it, we have to stop judging other women as well. Mm -hmm. So if we have any hope in eliminating it from ourselves, we have to stop doing it to other women. So I'll give you a perfect example. Did you guys watch the Super Time Super Bowl halftime show last night? Didn't but I watched the fallout? I saw a crotch shot of J Lo. So there was a lot of there was a lot of positivity around J Lo and Shakira's dance, and then there was a lot of a backlash. I would yeah. say, and so and, and I'll be I'll admit I'll be honest. There was a point when I was watching because my son was watching it with me where I was just like, wow, this is a lot of like she's on a pole and there's a lot of like. Um, she was, she seemed to be, to me, like doing a kind of Michael Jackson, like touching the crotch kind of thing. Um, a number of places in there, it was a very highly charged dance. And so I was just kind of like, this is funny. Like I'm, I'm trying to think about how, what kind of questions my son might have, but he didn't really ask any questions at all. And so I left it. And then upon further reflection, and, and actually we were talking, Lainey and I were talking about it today. 
it, it, we were unpacking, like, why do we judge women for expressing their sexuality? Like, why do we do that? Why do we feel so uncomfortable with that? Especially in the context where we've just watched groups of men bang into each other, aggressively, <laughs> like just being the, bang the shit out of each other to a point where we know like football is under scrutiny right now for the, the, the concussion issues and how vulnerable uh, they put players into for their mental health going forward. Like, I don't know if you've seen the documentary, but Aaron Hernandez, like there's been all kinds of research about what concussions have can do to the brain. And so we're sitting here with this juxtaposition, which is like men being extraordinarily violent in, 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 a, in a safe, sanctioned place and women expressing their sexuality. Like what, what, men don't feel ashamed about beating the shit out of each other mm. and like showing this violence and whatever. Cold, because it's a sport. It's fine. Women just kind of expressing themselves in this way. I, like, again, we have to stop judging first mm. in order for, I think, for us to emancipate ourselves in the same way. Now, while having said that, I also think we need to think of sexuality in a much more diverse way. And it goes back to what we were talking about before. And, you know, in order to eliminate that shame, we have to accept that we can't, Emily, sorry, I'm going to use this, uh, this woman named Emily Nagoski wrote this amazing book called Come As You Are. Yes. And she talks, I love this expression. She says, never yuck someone else's yum. Mm. And I was like, that's so good. Cause we, I think we do it casually all the time in, with our friends. It's like, oh, you're into that. Oh, ew. and it doesn't matter if it's sexual or not. It's like, oh, you're going to do that. Oh, oh. And so again, we have to check. I think before we can check ourselves, we have to check, or before we can check, uh, like maybe in on our, in on ourselves, we have to check our behavior mm. around these issues. And so if we ever hope to not have shame on ourselves, we have to stop shaming other people. Yeah. One, one thing that I, I mean, in, in having conversations, which I think is a big part of the of the solution anyway is just bringing things more to the forefront and having the conversations because there's definitely something to be said about exposure therapy <laughs> like yeah. the more the more that i have been exposed to all of these different fucking wild things that are out there that probably a few years ago i would have been like oh fuck why would somebody ever want to do that the more i'm able to just be like cool not for me but go you Mm -hmm. Totally. And I think actually, it's funny you say that because I've been thinking a lot about um, how women get triggered. That word trigger has been thrown around a lot and almost like mm. misused, but, and everybody has triggers. I don't mean to pin this on women, but I think we also need to check ourselves when we feel triggered. And I, and I, and mm. obviously I'm very sensitive to the realms in which people might be triggered because of a past trauma. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking more about the very many ways in which let's say a parenting conversation comes up. Let's say someone makes a decision, like let's say breastfeeding is a very triggering conversation. And I'm not saying there isn't emotion there, but, but ideally we would, in, in an ideal world, we get to a place where it's like, Oh, you breastfeed your child and you love it. That's great. And I'm going to hear you talk about it. No problem. I chose not to because of it wasn't convenient for me or it didn't work for me or whatever. And, and, or, or, you know what, actually it's a bit painful for me to think about because I really wanted to, but like, if we can just own our decisions yeah. or own our truths or own and in a way that is unapologetic, mm. I think we're going to get that much closer to not being, feeling shamed. Um, and what was another example that came up recently where we were talking about this, where I'm trying to think. I think while well, you think for a minute, yes. um, the other the other piece to that I think is also being genuinely curious yes. about other people. Like being in the position of if I'm in a conversation with somebody and they're sharing 
I will use the breastfeeding example. They're sharing about bottle feeding over breastfeeding. Instead of like leaning into the trigger of like, ah, oh, God, why would you do this? Just, hey, well, what was that like for you? Yes. Like, I'm, I'm genuinely curious. Like, what, what was that like for you? How, how do you put your baby down if you're not able to give them the breast? I don't really understand what that looks like. Could you tell me more? Like, I'm just being hungry for somebody else's experience and how that might, I don't know, shift, I, shift my day. Yeah, you're 100% right. And again, it, 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 this comes down to also the same choices like what you were just describing, that woman who likes to have sex three times a day or whatever it is. I'm genuinely curious. I'm not triggered. I, I would, I, on paper, have no interest. I can't imagine how that would work in my life. I'm totally fascinated to hear about that. And ideally, we would approach most situations even if they are not within our imaginary realm or even in our desire levels, that we would just be like, oh, and that's how you start to eliminate shame. You replace yeah. that curiosity. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And 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 I think it also one thing that kind of popped into my mind as you were saying that is is owning our discomforts. Yeah. Mm. You know, not one of my uh, very good friends. She she made a wonderful post the other day, and she was very vulnerable in the in the post on Instagram. And she actually was partially nude. And this is this is a woman who has severe anxiety and all kinds of um, issues. And and inside the post, she was saying how through her scrolling through Instagram, she she feels triggered quite often and it causes her to not want to express herself. But she realized that by owning her discomforts, she was able to be more present, to be more engaged, to be more curious. And I thought that was so beautiful to say, I'm going to own my triggers. I'm going to own my discomforts and I'm still going to show up. You know, like so many of us feel disempowered by our shame, by our mm. discomforts, by our triggers. And that causes us to not want to be involved in the conversation. We say, well, if I, if I can't sit there and be comfortable, then, then I don't want to have that conversation. It's, yeah. it's okay to be uncomfortable. It is okay. You do not have to be perfect. You are yeah. not an impotent person. You have things that make you feel uncomfortable, as we all do. Let's talk about it. Yeah. And if you don't want to talk about it, that's okay. Right? You know, it's... we. I feel like I've been saying this a lot tonight. We need to have more conversation. It's why we started a podcast, bitch. <laughs> we are very afraid of discomfort. And I do think that's when it leads us to reach for then maybe some of the less healthy, like things that bury, like pleasures that that are easy. Like I'm thinking of like, you know, people often say, well, well you know, obviously you can drink too much. You can go down and be taking too many things that like mask our pains that mm -hmm. end up becoming pains. And there's no question those things exist, but I think you're, you're dead right when it's like, ideally we're not burying parts of ourselves all day long and, and being so afraid to sit with discomfort that we can't even, we don't even want to feel that. I think that's what leads us to go down the road of just being uh, like trying to escape our own uh, mm. squeaky feelings mm -hmm. yeah. you need to sit more with that and women uh, women are it's, it's harder a little bit for us well I shouldn't say that I think it's hard for men too um but I think I can relate to the experience of women being told like what does it mean to be a good girl or what does it mean to be an agreeable <sighs> girl and a nice girl uh non-confrontational like there's all these ways in which we constantly bury our our emotions and our feelings 
but I think you're right. If we, if we did talk a little bit more about, oh, what if, what if it's, we just were curious? What if somebody, when somebody says something, we just ask more questions? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Without, yeah, yeah that's kind of what really, for most of my life, I was very disconnected from my sexuality and, and talking about it made me feel so incredibly uncomfortable. So I avoided the conversation. And there are still points in doing this podcast where I find myself feeling very uncomfortable. And, sure. But I, I sit with it. And I remember you saying very early on, Lindsay, you said something so simple. You said, lean into it. Mm-hmm. It was one of our listeners had, had, uh, had written into us about, um, I think it was actually something that you posted, Lindsay. And she said that it made her feel so uncomfortable, but I think either you said it, Oh, it was, I think it was, I, one of my, one of my many, uh, nude posts, photos that I had done yes. and it was on my so it was on my Lindsay Umla RHN account mm-hmm. and I had posted another another one of my like I don't I think it was one of the ones where I was leaning over the couch and I'm like covering my nipples but my breasts are hanging down and my my postpartum belly is like hanging towards the couch mm. but I'm like feeling myself and I shared it and she wrote to me I lost a shit ton of followers that day Bye, friends. Uh, I was like, come around when you're ready. I'll still be here. Um, but I had this amazing woman reach out to me because I, had, I think I had posted like, well, lost 25 followers today from sharing this or something like, ever want to lose followers? Post this. Something mm. cheeky and stupid. Um, and anyways, she wrote back to me and she's like, honestly, like you trigger the hell out of me. You trigger the hell out of me. But you're also the person that told me when you're triggered lean into that discomfort and learn something and in following you and being triggered and like giving myself permission to sit in that discomfort I've started to unravel all of this these belief patterns and systems from my childhood that are the reason that I feel so uncomfortable and because of this I'm now starting to get more in touch with my body and starting to accept my body in a way that I never have before so I'm Mm. like yes people Mm -hmm. so yeah that's one of the reasons that I am so like I'm over the top so that other people can take baby steps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, it's kind of coming back to your book a little bit. It's not only leaning into the discomforts, but leaning into the small ways of bringing about comfort of bringing pleasure, yeah. you know, finding I mean, the small matter. things. Yeah. If it like, it doesn't matter if we could get to the point where it's like, it's actually not any of my concern. What, like, it's not that I don't want people to think fondly of me. I want to be a good friend and a good parent and a good partner. But I don't really care if somebody thinks that I'm, my sex life is weird or, I, or it isn't the right kind of sex life or, or that my body isn't acceptable. Like that, we get all that all the time. Like, yep. and, and I get that a lot from women. I, like that is the the striking thing. And I, I always now, instead of reacting also with rage, which early on, a, when I first started doing TV, if someone said something like that, I would just be crushed mm-hmm. and immediately be sort of self like uh, critical and just being like, oh my God, they're right. Like, oh, I shouldn't be on TV looking like this. It's just, it's but then you just realize like, oh, 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 I don't need to have your approval to have a body. Like uh-huh. this, this is so like it, having that awakening, realizing that like it's, there's nothing, there's no correlation between my ability to do my job and my body. Like, and then, and then that's where I had to do the active thing where it does matter who you're following and who you're listening to. It makes a huge impact. And I think women need to carefully curate their Instagram 
um, and what they, you know, if, if they're not on Instagram, where they're going, what they're looking at on Facebook or where their magazines are coming from. Because if you're constantly seeing one color of body, one type of body, one ability level, yeah. that is, that does feed into what we think is beautiful or acceptable. And if we don't fall into that in the, quite the same way, then we start to become very self-critical. So yeah. I, I don't know where I started with that, but I do think it matters. <laughs> yeah. 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 Like if, if, if our in, influx of information is sterilized, then our experience is then run through that very narrow mm-hmm. viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I feel bad when I see women criticizing other women um, for any, any kind of thing. Like there were even women today I heard criticizing like JLo's body and it's like, what, what are we, what is going on? And what does that say about you? Yeah. That's you're at, you know, any, any time I've ever received. No. Okay. That's not true. Uh, in the last, you say, anytime I've ever received criticism, I've always, I'm like, no, no, I was not when I was insecure as fuck. That's not true. It's a lie. Um, but in like the, in the last, I don't know, decade or like the point where I really started to shift and step into that place of being more invested about what I felt about my body and how I was existing in my body and my pleasure and my, my joy, um, and started to realize that like, I, if somebody's upset or has a comment about my body or how I've shown up, that's not about me. Yeah. It's not, that's not me. That's, I'm just like holding up the mirror yeah. and you're being triggered by something that you have not yet worked through. And that's, if I can be in a place where I can really understand that, I can have more compassion for people. Yeah. And also I can just be okay with the criticism coming in. I'm like, cool. That's, it's on you. It's on you, friends. Can I help you? Like that's, that's usually where I come, come from. I'm like, oh, can I make it better? We had a woman come on the show recently um, who was a really inspiring speaker. And she did have a little section where she talked about shame. And um, she was basically saying there in some instances, shame is a good thing. And I was like, come again, look what? But she did something really interesting. And, I, and it does it is worth considering, which is that like, she's a business owner and she says she thinks that more businesses should think about shame and think about the way in which they conduct their business. And is it, is it shameful? And I was like, Oh, this is a whole different perspective. And imagine Mm -hmm. if more corporations thought about the way they treated their workers or what if more governments thought about, like, I mean, I'm thinking of the current government in the United States right now, but like Mm -hmm. thought about the way in which they are behaving in a global scale. And if they like there, there is some reason to have shame, I guess is really what like shame can be a good catalyst for change when you've been doing bad things. Yeah. (laughs) But I think that the problem is, is that too many women are mired in kinds of shame that is actually completely, it's a time waster and it's not effective and it's useless and it keeps us from doing things that, that are bigger and more important. So if we're going to be shaming anybody, we should put our shame on the right candidates. <laughs> Coll- collectively shame. Shaming. The large. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Versus individually shaming one another. That's right. That's right. Correct. I just, I just had a thought while you guys were just speaking of, of hearing you, Cynthia, share, you know, the story of uh, your experiences of being in the limelight. And so you're, you're, you're getting all of these comments on your body and your shape and Lindsay, you too. And, and I, it just makes me think how we live in such an interesting time where all of us can very easily put our bodies on display. And so 
it's such an interesting time in that because of that, we don't really have the tools in place because it's such a very, you know, technology, the span of it is, is <laughs> I remember a time in my life when before there was, when there was dial-up. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Even before that, when our TV shut off at night, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, right. Yeah. And so it's, it's interesting. We're living in this time and, you know, as a child, I didn't have a phone in my hand. I wasn't posting images of my body. So no one was saying anything about my body other than my mom and dad. And the only thing they were saying was, how did you cut yourself? Are you okay? Where'd that bruise come from? Or wow, you're growing a lot. And, but now it is so easy for us to receive comments about our body. And those tools are not, we're really just developing them now of how to make our emotional well-being more resilient to this. And so when we're hearing these, these, these stories like yours, Cynthia, and yours, Lindsay, it's like you guys are figuring out ways of how to, you know, not let it affect you. It's like, you know, this is all relatively new. And the work that we're doing about trying to protect ourselves, to shield ourselves from these comments, like we're doing immense amount of work because this is something that humans have never had to go through we've never been in this period of time where thousands of people from all around the world are looking at your body and saying "Ooh, god or wow and it's it's just it's so weird it's so fucking weird i'm having a very <laughs> existential philosophical moment right now and i'm probably gonna go home and talk are, to my husband we're in a like a like a global kind of like experiment right like we really are absolutely absolutely older like i worry about you've got one of you as daughters and so yeah, i do i have a niece right now she's like 12 or 13 and uh and my sister has been very conscious of raising her without ever talking about her own body like because our family grew up with a lot of like body image issues and so my sister really was specific she's like i'm never going to talk about weight i'm never going to like ever i'm going to talk about strength and healthy eating and i'm going to talk about those types of things but i'm never going to talk about weight and what it means blah 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 and despite that unsurprisingly she still has occasionally heard my my niece has come forward and saying that she feels and using that horrible word fat, which is again a terrible word that gets used against women all the time. And well, untrue. Listen, there, is, there is there is the other school of thought that like fat is actually a fantastic word. We There's just, a reclamation happening. Yes. Like bitch, fat is also being reclaimed. Fat is the new bitch. Yeah, I, fat I, bitch. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not there yet. I actually, I will, I'll say this. I edit whenever there's a story. And right now I'm reading Harry Potter and fat is used as a descriptor a lot of times for characters and I don't ever read it. Hmm. I, I still feel like that word is, and I, and I love that women are trying to reclaim it and they're using it in, in positive ways, but I don't feel like it is used across the board as a positive in like novels or whatever and I still think lots of people use it as something that is not complimentary it is it is still seen as a sin and I don't know how we managed to reclaim it properly mm-hmm. um I yeah I'm not there yet and I and, I, and I, I I hope I hope to be like maybe I maybe I'm not there yet because I'm not part of that exact community like mm-hmm. I'm not part of yeah. those conversations but at the same time it's a it's a curious thing because I think about my son like how will I teach him how to use that in a proper way? I would love some education on this. So if anybody wants to send me notes after listening, um, I'm happy. We did, we did two really, did we do two episodes of Maggie? With Maggie, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My brain can't keep up anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, we did two really great episodes with a beautiful fat bitch. Mm-hmm. Um, Megan. Megan Clark. Yeah, and she, I think we did actually talk about 
the word fat the and word. reclaiming it. Yeah. And she, why she's made a point of using it again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She, uh, I think it was something along the lines of, you know, she would rather someone call her flat than uh, flat. <laughs> <laughs> I was, Please, I was trying to think of the, call me uh, fluffy, fluffy and fat. Uh, then yeah, f- uh, fluffy or curvy. She's like, just get right to the point. Like that, that's what I am and it's okay. Fat is beautiful. So it's, I love that. It's but at the, same, of- at the same time, how do you deal with, so let's say you have a teenage girl comes to you and says, I it is crying and says like, I think I'm getting fat. Mm. How do you then, I would love to know what that conversation is. In. And I, and hopefully maybe I'm getting an, an image that it might be okay, okay, and then what? Like, so what's the worst thing about that? Let Here are these examples of these beautiful women who are quote unquote fat. Maybe that's the way to handle it with a teenage girl I, who's struggling with it. And also like, yes, yes, that. And I think it's also the conversation of like, y- it's a descriptor. Like it's just, it's another descriptive word. Like I, I, I have fat, I am fat, I am mm. thin, I am soft, I am strong, I am like, yeah so many it's like sure you you have fat what else are you mm-hmm. what else what else is there going on and and what what is so wrong with being fat mm-hmm. yeah. I love that yeah there there is a lot of work being done uh, there's a, another really wonderful um woman that I follow on Instagram I think her name is chubby bunny and yes, she, yes um she's amazing it, Cynthia I uh, is Ashley? Ashley, yes, Ashley Chubby Bunny, and um, she does a lot of work in reclaiming the word fat. And there was a fantastic podcast episode that she did. Oh God, I can't remember what the podcast was called, but they were talking about the word fat and how uh, Ashley herself she's a she's a sex worker, and so there have been many times where men have come to her, you know, to have sex. And there's this been conversation of, of them being uncomfortable to touch her body because she is fat and they don't really know what to do with it. She's like, it's okay. Just, just touch my skin, move my skin. Like it's not a big deal. And you know, there's been points in some of her encounters where they will, you know, feel ashamed or something like that. And I'm kind of losing my train of thought and how she dealt with it. But more or less, you know, there there is a large reclamation being done for for women who do identify as fat. And I don't, you know, it, it is a tricky word to use if you don't identify as fat, you know, because you don't know how another person might feel about it. Like Maggie, I know that it's okay to use yeah. that word, but I would not recommend to ever use that word with anyone um, without consent, without knowing that they, that they have told you, I, it is okay for you to use that word to describe me. I find that word empowering. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. I just lost my voice for a second. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's, 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 it is really, really interesting how there's this whole movement, not just with fat, but so many other different words that we are reclaiming yeah. right now. Like us, for us, we really try to reclaim pussy. Pussy. Yeah. There's so many people who are still uncomfortable with that word, but, uh, I love it. She's crunchy. Right. right? <laughs> I like it. I like it too, but I don't use it. I wouldn't say I use that very often, like, but I don't use any words, I would say. 
probably except for when I'm talking about it with like Jaya, like vulva. I've, I've, he, he right now he's saying vagina. And so I was just like, well, first of all, it's vagina. And second of all, it's also vulva. You can use them interchangeably, but I also don't want him to be the kid at school. Like I don't want to put him in a position where he's like saying vulva and then all these other kids go home to their pants. Like it's, it's complicated. It's yeah. complicated to try to do the right thing with your kids and get them For to sure. name things properly and not have them also be them the school, you know, <laughs> See, I kind of just accepted the fact that that's yeah. probably going to be my kid. I'm like, I, I'll take that on for the team. I kind of want my boys to ruffle some feathers a little bit. I'm oh, yeah. all, in the most respectable way. You know, <laughs> like I'm raising two boys. You know, it's it's like you, Cynthia. There's 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 a lot of conversations there that uh, you know boundaries and consent is something that we have a lot of conversations about in our house and and we do discuss female anatomy and they know when I'm on my period and Henry my oldest is very curious about it and there's been times where I think you know when he goes to school and he becomes a teenager like what is that going to look like for him and all I can think is he's going to be like the best dude yeah (laughs) I hope I just want to make the best like whatever whoever he loves Right. I just want him to be like such a good dude. <laughs> yeah. yeah, just a good old dude. Yeah. Like helping his girlfriends with, you know, their periods, coming to school with pads, having all the information, like yeah. cloth pads for Christmas. Yeah, yeah, giving them cups for Christmas. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I will be the weird mom giving my girls pleasure ones. Pleasure ones. Oh my god. <laughs> cups. I mean, that's funny. We talked about that on the show and I, 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 like, I think it's great. If you have that relationship with your daughters, I think it's great. I would never have wanted that for my mom. I would want my aunt, well, this my is, cool aunt to do so that for me. Literally talked about this. I, I actively have people in place who are, are there to step in as the cool aunt. Yes. Should our relationship be in the place where like, no, I don't want my mom to be the one giving this to me. Yeah. It might be like a here, this is for you. Go talk to Sarah about this. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah, totally. I will totally take that on for you, Lindsay. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. That's what friends are for. Right? I feel like Fallon's not going <laughs> to... No, You're Fallon. not going to be the one for her. Yeah. Fallon, I don't know. She's not, she's not a fan of you. No. Oh, my God. I feel like I want to oh, talk to you for yes. a thousand years, but you're already, like going we're over time five well, minutes let's do it again we'll do it again sometime yes please fuck yes oh let's God. do it anytime. let's do it in person that oh. would be so awesome if you guys come to toronto anytime i mean i would love to come out east but i have not it's not on my book tour yet i, I don't set my book tour but if i do i'm coming to visit you guys yes! to toronto, you guys have to come and we'll go you come to the show and we'll go do Oh. Drinks afterwards or something. Oh yes. Okay. So now we really need to go and like <laughs> go to Toronto ASAP. ASAP. Mom Gasm needs to start touring. This needs to happen. Yes. <laughs> it's it's in it's in process. It's in the works. It is. It's Ontario is in our sights. Yay. Oh, this was fucking delightful. It was. Thank you so much. Thank you guys so much. It was really an absolute pleasure. (laughs) Which we all need more of in our lives. So if you haven't yet grabbed the book, you need to go get your buns into a store and get the book. Can you also order them online? You can. Amazon, (gasps) Indigo, anything. Yes. All there. And on my website, I think there's links there. So findyourpleasure.com. Perfect. Perfect, perfect, perfect. Oh my God. I don't want to say goodbye, but I know that we have to. So. It's like that awkward moment. Like when, <laughs> right? when your life was like being on the phone with your friends, like you <laughs> and mom's telling you to get off the phone. And be like, you oh. hang up first. So you hang up first. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's exactly that. Oh. 
Thank you again, Cynthia, and have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. If you're craving a little bit more momgasm in your life and want to meet us in the flesh, come to our first live show of 2020. It's happening March 6th here in beautiful Halifax, and it's a part of the Atlantic Podcast Summit. We're going to be hitting the stage at nine o'clock and blowing your fucking tits off, babe. We are so excited to be back for the Atlantic Podcast Summit, and we can't wait to have a wild night. Tickets are $15 and available now. Check out the link in our description. If you're unable to make it, please head over to our Patreon where we are serving up all the treats. We are giving you snail mail. We're giving you bloopers. We're giving you unreleased material all right there on Patreon. Go to www.patreon.com slash momgasmpodcast to join in on the fun. And if you haven't already joined, please head on over to Facebook, like us and join the Momgasm Den. That is the community that we are building with you, our listeners, and we are so blessed to be doing it. We're having conversations that are stemming from the episodes and so much more. And remember to like, subscribe and share and send us a little love. <laughs>